0: Woke up this morning and I was I was getting ready for church, and um, so I'm, I'm house sitting Steve's place at the moment while they're on holidays. And I, I got this shirt out and I was looking for the iron. I know where it goes. It goes in a particular place in the laundry, and uh, it wasn't there. And I searched for about half an hour. I couldn't find it, and I got really angry because I thought, y- you know what, stuff it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go to church without ironing my shirt. Um, hope I thought maybe I hope God isn't planning on. Um, inspiring anyone through my shirt today but um you know what god uses the lowly of this world to encourage well the verse says shame but no encourage the the strong so you know um that's grace isn't it nice segue into my message let's pray father thank you for uh this morning and that we can come together thank you that uh you speak to us all, you minister to us all, and you minister to us where we are at. And Father, we don't have to try and aspire to meet you somewhere, Lord Jesus, but that you are already standing right beside us and that you show us all things. So Holy Spirit, reveal your uh, will to us today. Reveal your word to us and inspire us and change us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh these past couple of weeks we've been going through grace, haven't we? We've gone through um, how God reaches out to us and it's not by our own uh, merit that we try and uh, reach God. We've gone through the uh, the Easter, all the Easter stuff, uh, Jesus' death, burial and resurrection and what that means to us. Today I want to talk about something, I guess I, guess I want to approach it from a, a, a bit of a practical view today. I'm going to be talking about Undeserved favor, which is really just saying grace, but in five syllables instead of one. So I guess I've got a bit more free reign and, and five times as much time to, to uh, speak to you guys today. Um, so, I mean, undeserved favor, it's, it kind of sounds a, a little bit uh, different from favor. I mean, you can favor something that's already good, can't you? I mean, the Lord looked on Abel's offering with favor because it was better than Cain's in the book of Genesis you know but when it's undeserved favor it leaves no room for confusion you know it's extending favor to someone who doesn't deserve it so undeserved favor is god showing partiality to us not based upon our merit or our performance but upon the goodwill of god entirely and today i want to talk about peter i think he's a very good example of God showing undeserved favor. you know. I guess I could talk about Paul, but I think I want to focus a little bit, uh, j- just a little bit after the resurrection, but uh, first I'm going to preface it with something that happens when Peter and Jesus first start hanging out. So can we all please turn to Luke chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles. And we're going to start at verse 4. So uh, giving the context... Um, the disciples are already with Jesus and Jesus has started his ministry and he's uh, teaching people uh, by, the, by the side of the lake. And, uh, and then he gets out into the water on the boat and they, they sit out in the shallows a little bit and he teaches the people from there because they're all crowding around. And, uh, and then when he decides he's done, uh, we'll, we'll start from there. So verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, "Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets." So Peter did something very important just there. He'd been fishing all night and he didn't get a single thing. And then Jesus says, "Now go out; we're going to catch something." And Peter's like, "Uh, we've tried this, you know, Jesus. We've tried." But then he says, but because you say so, I'm going to do it. Now, Peter did something that we normally wouldn't do. See, for myself, commonly, there would be a lot more verses in between verse 5 and verse 6. Because I would put up an argument, you know. I've tried this, Jesus, you know. So I'm not going to do it, you know. Because I know so much better than God does. I'm like his advisor, you know. Amen. No, no. Often our experience can stop us from being obedient to God. Yeah? You know, we are, we, we, we go through something and then we, we interpret it however we want, you know, as if God is not sovereign. And then at the end, God says, I want you to try this. And then you say, no, I have tried it. You know, as if God hasn't seen everything you've just tried. You know? So... We can't let our experience stop us from being obedient to God because things happen when we become obedient to Christ, yeah? Are you with me? Let's keep going. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Hmm. Seems a bit different. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, boats, not foats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It wasn't about the fish, was it? It was the biggest catch that Peter had ever had in his life. Now, I'm sort of talking about all the disciples collectively, but I'm specifically just going to focus on Peter. So all the disciples saw this, you know, or all the ones that were there anyway. But I'm specifically talking about Peter today. It wasn't about the fish. Peter saw that it was the biggest haul he'd ever had. You know? No one expects the nets to start breaking when you when you catch a bunch of fish. And so they got two boats together. Peter's a bit of a thinker. He says, Come over here, guys, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do this together. They pull the nets up, the nets start breaking, they fill both boats, boats and both boats start to sink. You know? And I assume maybe some people were bucketing water while Peter was having his moment, but he he falls before Jesus because he realizes that there's something different about Jesus. He's not just some ordinary rabbi. Jesus revealed his divinity in that act, in that miracle. And that's what it was all about. And this is the big key to favor or grace. It is about Jesus revealing himself. So, Peter went past experience and became obedient. And obedience brought the results that Jesus had planned. That's what revealed his divine nature. We'll keep reading. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. I only just realized, I don't know, this week, I guess, that the significance of that statement. From now on, you'll catch men. You know, it speaks of a couple of things. Now, what the fish represented, it was prophetic of ministry. You know, they'd been trying all night, didn't catch a single thing. But now that they're with Jesus and he says, now you can do it because I'm with you. They catch so many fish that their nets can't even hold it and their boats can't even hold it. This is what God wanted to do in the lives of his disciples. This is what God wanted to do in Peter's life. He says, see that? That's nothing. You're going to do this with people. You're mine now. You belong to me. You're my disciple. You've just seen that. I'll show you greater things. Come with me. Let's go. So there was identification in that and there was calling in that. There was who I am and there was what I do. And then they left every, They left their nets. They left everything. What, what does it say? So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. It wasn't about the fish. They didn't keep the fish. They followed Jesus. That was the big thing. Now, I told you that story, so I'm going to tell you this story. Let's go to John chapter 21. There's a reason I went to that story first. Bear with me. I'll explain it in a second. John chapter 21. We're going to start at verse 1 and we're going to read right through to Uh, 14 afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias it happened this way Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus Nathanael from Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them and they said, we'll go with you They're some very good friends I want to bring this up this is three years later it's been three years since that Miracle catch of fish. Peter and Jesus have been through hell and back together. They've been through highs and lows. Peter has proved his commitment. When all of Jesus' disciples, save Peter and the 11, deserted him, Jesus looked at these guys and said, Are you going to leave too? And Peter said, Where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. Outside of Jesus, Peter has no other reason to live, and he confessed that to Jesus to his face. And then comes the night of, the, or, or the night before the crucifixion. And Peter throws in in Peter's mind, he throws all of that down the drain. Jesus is there. He's chained up. He's most likely gonna die. And you know, Peter's warming him by himself. Uh, so he's warming himself by the fire on the other side of the room, to where Jesus is held. And someone comes up to Peter and says, "I know you. You were with that guy, weren't you?" And he's like, "No, nah, I don't know." You know? Then someone else came up to him. Yeah, I know you. You're a Galilean. I saw you with him. You travel around with him. You do stuff with him. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. Shut up. You know? Someone else comes up to him and does the same thing. And again, he says, no, I do not know this guy called Jesus. I've got nothing to do with him. You've mistaken me for someone else. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter looks at Jesus. They have a moment. And Jesus is like, you know, don't worry about it, I love you. But he couldn't say that. But Peter snapped. He broke inside. He just betrayed the person that gave him a reason to live. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So now, if we really want to delve into the mind of Peter, I'd say he feels like he has no reason to live because he feels worthless. Are you with me? Jesus rises again, you know, from the grave, and he goes and sees the disciples twice. But him and Peter don't really have too much dialogue. He just says, you know, I'm alive, you know, bless you guys, etc., cetera, et cetera, But Peter still feels horrible about what he's done. And so when he says, I'm going out to fish, you know, it's, I don't know, sometime in the night. He's going out there by himself to sulk. That's what he's doing. And all these mates say, no, nah, we're coming with you. And they all just go, you know. Good mates. We need good mates like that. I hope Peter wasn't introverted, otherwise he would have had a hell of a time. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, otherwise we wouldn't still be here, they answered. I'm paraphrasing. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, I like to put myself in the story, and uh, and imagine if I was one of the characters, and again, if I was here, there would be a lot more verses in between, throw your nets on the other side, and actually doing it. I'd put up an argument. I'm a little bit, uh it has been known to happen that I can sometimes open my mouth before I think. It's not a regular occurrence, but it has been known to happen. This is something along the lines of what I would have said. Thank you, strange person who I've never met before. It's not like I've been a fisherman my entire life. Clearly, you know everything about fishing since you've just given me that piece of advice. I suppose, from a logical point of view, it would be entirely understandable that since I've been throwing my net on this side of the boat, or that's right, this side of the boat all night, and there's no fish, that. All the fish in the lake must be on this side of the boat. Thank you. I'm going to try it. Let's do it, guys, and prove this guy what a hero he is. That's probably something I would have said. And then he does that. He, he throws it on the right side of the boat. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. See, this is what I think was actually going through Peter's mind. I think Peter and I have a little bit in common because we can sometimes be a bit impulsive. But Peter doesn't seem to do that this time. It doesn't say anything about, we've tried all night. I think in Peter's mind, he thought, hang on a tick. This feels a bit familiar. I think this has happened before. Guys, let's do it, you know? I think that's probably what was going through his mind. And and then they just do it. And then they have trouble hauling it up. And then young John, you know, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord! He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water, like any non-impulsive person would do. Swim to shore, don't stay in the boat. You know? wasn't about the fish. Let's keep reading. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They were dry, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, I just want to make this point, and I'm going off an assumption here, so I could very well be wrong. Assuming that the nets were approximately the same size now as they were three years before, the first time they managed to bring the net up, didn't they? Even though the net started tearing. And they got all the fish into the boat. This time, they can't even bring it up. It's too heavy. So even though that catch three years before was the biggest catch of their lives, this, going off an assumption, is again the biggest catch of their lives. I'm just going to make that point for a second, and then we're going to read on, and then I'll get into it a bit more. Jesus said to them, "'Come and have breakfast.' None of the disciples dared ask him, "'Who are you?' They knew it was the Lord." Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I mean, I'm not going to read the next bit, but the next bit talks about Jesus reinstating Peter and, you know, causes him to stop feeling absolutely horrible about himself. Because that's what Jesus does. He, He believes in someone, even though they mess up, really bad. He knew that Peter betrayed him that night. He looked at him as he did it. Jesus was about to die and his best friend said, I don't even know him. I mean, if you're in Jesus' shoes but you weren't Jesus, what would you be thinking? Gosh, I guess that shows who your mates really are. You know? But Jesus doesn't think any of that. He still believes in him and thinks, you know what, my church is going to be built on that guy right there. Come on. What the fish did, what this miracle, three years later, this new miracle with the fish did to Peter, is it reminded him that despite his failure, Jesus still called him. Because Jesus called him three years earlier at that first catch. said, from now on, you're going to catch people. Now Peter's fallen from what he thinks, you know, he's fallen from grace in his mind. He's got nothing left and God's not going to use him anymore. And God reminds him of that same prophecy when they started hanging out together. And then uh, when they pull the fish up on shore, Jesus doesn't glory in the fact that there's a lot of fish being caught. He's already got fish there. He's already got fish and bread. He's already got food. So this stuff doesn't even necessarily matter. You know? It wasn't about the fish. Jesus said, come and spend time with me. Come, come and have breakfast. See, often we get so hung up on the good things that God do, and we go, wow, that we forget to spend time with him. And it sort of ends up defeating the purpose of why God did all that in the first place. Because everything that grace is supposed to do is it's supposed to lead us into his presence and a greater relationship with him. Not to go and do greater and greater things. The two come hand in hand. But relationship with God has always got to come first. How many of us in here, I have a question, how many of us in here, and I'd like you to put your hand up if you're feeling brave, have ever received something from God like, from now on, you're going to be doing this, or this thing is going to be part of your life, or this thing is going to be part of your ministry, or something like that. How many people in here has God ever said that to, whether through someone else or directly or through the Word, where you've just had this moment, whoa, this is what God's called me to do. Something like that. Can, can we have hands up? Okay, okay, that's good, that's good. So I assume for some people that maybe that's never happened. That's okay. What it takes is a revelation of Jesus Christ because every time Jesus performs a miracle, it was about revealing who Jesus was, not necessarily about the miracle itself. So when Jesus calls you, he will do it by revealing himself, not just by telling you to do something. He's not the guy that just says, do this, do this, do this, do this, do that. You know? He's saying, this is who I am. Let that inspire you. Now you can go and do this because I'm empowering you. What happens several weeks later? We don't have to turn there, but in Acts 2, Peter stands up in front of thousands of people, doesn't he? He delivers like the best sermon in the entire Bible, maybe except for Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about Jesus to a whole crowd. And it's like this really explosive, really public sermon, whereas a couple of weeks earlier, Peter felt like he was nothing. And 3,000 people come to Christ, and then we have the birth of the church. Jesus told Peter through just something simple like fish, this is what you're going to do with people. So what's God trying to do with us? What's he trying to teach us with us? In the little things that we have, maybe we think we don't have very much, that's okay. Jesus can still show us something through what we've got, can't he? There are people in here that, I spent a, a, a while in prayer on this message, and for a long time I sort of felt like I was getting nowhere and I was getting really frustrated. So then I'd just go and do something else for a while, and then I'd come back. And I, could, I didn't even know why, but my, my mind just didn't feel like it was in the game. And I couldn't, you know, put a, put a reason to why. I'd spend time in prayer and say, God, what is my brain doing right now? What's going on? Why, am I, why can I not focus on this? Why aren't you showing me anything? What's, am I doing something? You know, and, and it took a little while, and, and God didn't even say why. He just said, no, I've got something else to show you. And I really had this urge to declare something over all of us, something, something that I think every, everybody needs. So there, I think there are people in here that think, ah, uh, I've turned my back on God. Once in my life, or, or a few times, or a fair few times, or maybe I do it every day and I feel pretty worthless. You know, I don't deserve to get anything from God, I don't deserve to be used by God. There's people in here, I think, that are worn out and, and out of energy. You know, and oh God, I've, I've had enough. You know, there are people in here that think how could god use me i'm useless i've got nothing i've got nothing to offer some people are bored with their christianity you know is this all there is oh we just we go to church and and i work during the week and you know that's all there is to it you know maybe that's that's a bit how you feel i don't know There are some people who have never had a a clear idea of what God has called them to do. Now, our first calling is to know Jesus, but out of that flows something practical, doesn't it? That we at work and serve other people in a particular way. There are some people in here, you've been asking God this question for a while now. You've been really pressing and you feel like he's, he's not answering. What do you want me to do, God? Show me, show me yourself. Guess what? God's going to meet with you today. He's going to show you something today. So when we heard that word this morning, make yourselves vulnerable. Open up your heart. Come on. Let's see what God has to say. Because what we do comes from a revelation of Christ and who He is first. And that's what we first need to seek before we seek anything else. Natty, can I please have you up on the keys? Cheers, mate. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 54. And I would like you to turn there if you've got your Bibles. This is for every single person in here. I'd like to speak this over your life. Every individual and the church as a whole. Okay? If you don't have your Bibles, close your eyes and listen. Quite a famous verse, sometimes we talk about it, but I want you to hear it because it belongs to you now. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. First of all, I'd like to make mention that this passage. Does not put a limit on how far you are to extend your stakes. If the God is the God of all the earth, that means everything belongs to Him. He never, never in the Bible says, you are to only go this far. Jesus never said, you can only do so much. He said, no greater things than what I've been doing will you do. He never, ever puts a limit on us. So why do we put it on ourselves? In this passage right here in uh, Isaiah 54, He doesn't say uh, extend your tent curtains and and, your pegs to to these boundaries right here before you stand into your your neighbor's yard. No, He just says go bigger. It's up to you how far you want to go. So how far do you want to go? How far are you willing to go? God's favour is going to meet you where you're at. Come on. God is always bigger than what we could ever hope to achieve. Come on. Our mindset can often tell us not to extend. Our mindset can often say, no, I can't do that because I'm not capable. Guess what? If you're telling yourself that, you're not actually doubting yourself. You're doubting God. If you're putting a limit on yourself, you're putting a limit on God because you don't think He can use you. The fact is we've all failed. We've all done it. It's part of life. We get things wrong. God knows that. His grace, His favour covers us. Are you with me? Why should we put ourselves in a box? Why should we limit ourselves and fear extending what we've got? Come on, what do you hope to achieve? Ask God. How far are you willing to push yourself? If you are willing, then God will take you. It's not about you. The beautiful thing about grace is that it has nothing to do with us. We are involved in it all the time, but it has nothing to do with us. It's not about us. Grace is fundamentally a word about God. His compassionate initiative towards us. His extravagant demonstrations of care and favour. In grace, God gives nothing less than Himself. So grace then is not some sort of third party. It's not some sort of uh, mediator that sits between, you know, God and us, and sort of, you know, works in between. Grace is Christ, Jesus Christ in redeeming action. That's what grace is. You know what undeserved favour comes from? It comes from a resurrected Christ and it always leads towards a resurrected Christ. It doesn't lead to works. God calls us to do things, yeah, but grace doesn't lead us to works. It always leads us to Jesus. And the show is, hey, you can't do it yourself. I know that. That's what I'm here for. Come on, let's get over ourselves. Are we excited? Everything that grace empowers us to do and overcome is ultimately to lead us more and more into the presence of Jesus, to know Him and to be conformed to His likeness. Everything we do for God flows out of that. That's a secondary thing. Our mission is secondary to our relationship with God. That's what grace does. So don't worry about your performance, please. Don't worry about all the things. How am I going to do this? Grace has nothing to do with you. It just takes you for the ride and it changes you along the way. We just, we just got to be willing. That's all. That's all we got to do. And, you know, we'll have some ministry time later. But, I mean, there may be some people in here that you've never experienced that grace or favor in your life. You know? Undeserved favour looks like Jesus dying on a cross for us. Undeserved favour looks like Jesus rising again as the master of death and the author of life. God extends favour to all people, whether they know Him or not, whether they want something to do with Him or not, whether they even hate Him. God's favour extends to all people. It's just up to us whether or not we want to accept it for ourselves. God doesn't, Love one person more than the other. He is partial to all. Can we please close our eyes? If you have never never experienced that favour of God, if you have never walked with Jesus, if you've never asked Him to be the Lord and Saviour of your life, if you've never experienced calling and purpose, if you've never experienced God's presence, if you don't think that He lives with you and has a relationship with you, but you want that, can you please raise your hand? If you want to give your life to Jesus, now's the time. If your heart's pounding right now, that's God. Don't complicate it. It'll be the greatest thing you ever walk into. Well, that's okay. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that the most important thing we can do is to know you. Thank you that you are all we need. You are grace walking. You are love walking. Living and breathing in all of us. Speaking and moving through us. But, Father, knowing us. Thank You for revealing Yourself. Jesus, I pray for greater revelation of You. Father, all the people here that have never heard those words, from now on, You will be doing this. I pray today that You meet them. That You show them clear-cut Purpose, mission, an expression of who they are, Father, that would bring change in the world. But Father, I pray that it comes out of a relationship with you, and that for all of us in this room, that would be our first and highest motivation. that in all things we would seek to spend time with you. Father, the people that are out of energy or they think they're useless or worthless, in Jesus' name, I pray for revelation of Christ. I pray for encouragement and inspiration. I pray for truth to hit the dark places in our hearts. Father, when we think we've got nothing left, You have a whole world more. In Jesus' name, have your way. Amen. How are we doing? We good? We excited? Is God going to do good things? Awesome. Thank you, God.